You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Or while you're at home, uh, listen to us. Tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On Kentucky. You can follow for free on Apple or Google Podcast. Just subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. Sorry, we've been off for a few days. Our first podcast of the week. Uh, but, uh, I was down a little bit on, uh, see Monday, Tuesday. So feeling better, luckily not coronavirus. Thank goodness. Uh, but we're back at it. And on this first day, we're back. Kentucky loses out to BYU on grad transfer, Matt Harms, uh, which I don't know. is kind of, I, I see it two different ways. One way. Um, is if you're really wanting to go uh, improve your draft stock, what in the world are you doing going out there to BYU? I mean, Mark Pope has the program, former Wildcat Mark Pope, has the program doing great uh, in a short time, his first year, but he had some he had some transfer help to make that happen, but he beat Gonzaga. Uh, you know, they were a darling, going to be one of the uh, sleepers in the tournament uh, had they been able to play it. But I, but I don't see where that going there instead of Kentucky helps you better prepare for the NBA. I mean, BYU is rarely on television. It's West Coast, so they play late anyway. Uh, they're not in the spotlight nearly as much. They don't have a what is it a a preseason draft combine basically uh, like Kentucky does every single year, where you know a scout from every single NBA team is there to see the guys practice and look at them before the season starts. On the other hand, uh, even though Matt Harms would have been a starter, I think for Kentucky this season, it wasn't guaranteed by any means to play like 30 or 35 minutes. Uh, He would definitely be out there quite a bit, but as the freshman, you know, started to mature a little bit throughout the season, those minutes, uh, could be more like 25, 28. I, I don't know, but he wouldn't, it doesn't matter in John Calipari's system with all that talent, he's not going to make one guy so much the focal point. It's not like Harms would have an opportunity to score average 20 points a game. Um, not, not really. The way he possibly could at BYU. So I could see that to where BYU's draw is maybe, hey, we're just going to take you out of the game for a, for a little bit of a breather. You are going to be the focal point of our interior um, offense uh, because BYU shoots a lot of threes. That's kind of their game. But So I could see his role being a little bit bigger at BYU, but it wasn't going to be really that diminished at Kentucky either. So what what is your take, Kyle, on his decision? I mean, I think it's, it's not as probably shocking as – uh, maybe a lot of people think, uh, you know, he's a seven foot tall white guy getting coached by a seven foot tall white guy who was pretty good, at, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and they just developed a, a really good player. Um, I can't even pronounce his name. Yoel, Yoel D. Chidis. Is that how you say his name? Uh, I don't know how you say his name. Uh, hang on. 
But I mean, I know who you're talking about though. You know, it's not like he's going to, uh, you know, a Mac school. I mean, this is it's a legitimate program, and they've had some dudes, and and I think Mark Pope is doing a great job. He's obviously a, a good recruiter. Uh, was able to sell. I, I think some of the quotes from Harms where he said, you know, like I don't, you know, I'm, I'm 23. I'm not worried about. I'm only going to be at this place for eight months. Like I'm not worried about facilities and how many Nike shoes you get. Like that felt like. He was parroting what had been sort of the recruiting pitch to him. Like, you know, don't fall in love with the glamour at Kentucky. Like, just come here and work. I would imagine uh-huh. that's what they were uh, selling him. And be a focal point and, instead know, of a piece, you know, of the pie. Um, and at Kentucky, it's going to be a bunch of 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds. And at, you know, BYU, it's going to be more like 20, 21, 22, 23 <laughs> Yeah, you know, guys who've been on a mission already for two years or whatever, and if he wants to be children, yeah, and if he wants to be a guy who steps out and shoots threes, um, that isn't a thing that Calipari's really allowed his big men to do. You know, PJ Washington being an exception to to a certain extent, Um, but you know, if his whole thing is like what I have to show to be a pro is is a be a seven foot three guy who shoots threes, that's not even what Kentucky wanted from him. You know, they, they need an actual center who wants to be the center and be, you know, they would have loved to have his shot blocking and his length, uh, but it may have ended up being a bad fit if if he wanted to play on the perimeter. So I, I think it's a fine fit for him. I think for Kentucky, it's a concern if they don't get somebody else. I mean, he was the best available grad transfer. I'm, I'm intrigued about, I mean, I guess the, I would set the stage by saying they absolutely must get one, if not two more big men still. And really, maybe two, um, but there are, are there are still options. You know, Marcos Marcus Santos Silva is a guy who's transferring. He announced at the end of last week, he's announced uh, uh, leaving VCU, where he averaged almost thirteen points and nine rebounds last year. Six seven two fifty. He had some huge games. He had like a nineteen rebound game against Dayton and Obi Toppin, top five team. Had uh, seventeen eleven against uh, LSU and. I think 21 and 11 against Tennessee last year. So like he's, he's been a really productive guy against high end competition. He's a big body. He's not tall, but he's a, he's wide. Um, and he'll bruise and, and like Sestina a little bit like that kind of. Yeah. But I, but I think, but I think a uh, different, much different player. Like he's, he's just yeah. going to be a straight up glass cleaner. I mean, he's a guy who averaged, I think his per 40 minute averages were like, was like 13 and a half, 14 rebounds. Um, mm. And that's, I mean, Kentucky really needs a guy who's going to be a physical presence in the post. And and Matt Harms yeah. was not going to be that. He would have been a rim protector, uh, but his rebounding numbers were really low. His per 40s were like eight rebounds per 40 minutes, which is low. Um, so, you know, Silva to me would be an interesting option. He's a guy who, as soon as he announced uh, on Twitter that he was leaving VCU, he was following Kentucky basketball, Cal Perry, uh, you know, some players, uh, on, on Twitter. So I don't, you know, he's, I guess he has said, he has announced, he's told some people who, which schools have reached out and not listed Kentucky, but I'd be, I'd be kind of surprised if they don't at least kick the tires on him. I think he could be a guy that really would help them. Um, just in a, in a pure need, like go get a guy who can rebound. Uh, the other name that's kind of popped is Deandre Williams, uh, kind of ironically a guy from Evansville who's in the transfer portal who averaged 15 points and seven rebounds last year, six, nine guy. Um, 
in both those cases, I'm not sh- for sure that they would be eligible next season because they're not right now like true grad transfers. I don't think either one of them. We don't know what's going to happen with waivers and all those things, but uh, those options exist. But the one I think everybody should really be keeping an eye on um, is I think Kentucky will and has also strongly explore trying to get a top, top guy out of the 2021 class to reclassify. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, you would have loved to have had a veteran, but I think if you can get an elite player, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, if, if you told somebody like you can get Matt Harms or Anthony Davis, well, I don't want another freshman, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Matt Harms or Carl Towns. Well, I don't want another freshman, you know? And so, you know, if it's Jonathan Kaminga, the number one player in the class, not really a post player, but he is six, eight and he's a elite and you'd take him or Paolo Banchero, a six, nine, 235 pound guy. Who's number four in the 2021 class or Musa Sis. I think that's how you are. Cisse, uh, C-I-S-S-E, uh, who's six ten two twenty. I like and, Cisse. I hope it's Cisse. I don't know, but I, yeah, hope I think it's it Cisse. is Cisse. Uh, he's eighth in the class. It shouldn't be sissy. It's definitely not sissy. No, I don't think it is. Um, you know, but you, if you get Kamingo or Benchera or Cisse, uh, <laughs> th- then, you know, you'd rather have the, any of those guys over a grad transfer because they're instant impact guys. And to me, Palo Benchero, if somehow you could get him, and it's notable because, um, you know, we mentioned, I think, on one of the recent podcasts that some of these changes they've made to the academic requirements may open it up to make it easier uh, for guys to reclassify. So that's interesting. But also, they've put a ton of time in Palo Benchero for for two years. Uh, Calipari in the last season flew across the country to Seattle to visit him. I think three times at least, um, maybe more. Um, and so they've been in on him for a while. And then you mentioned to me before we came on, Efton Reed is a guy that uh, has put been put out there, top twenty kid in the twenty twenty one class, six eleven, two twenty five, five star. Uh, who Kentucky, Joel Justice and Kentucky have reached out to as well. So I I would say keep an eye on that, on the reclass market, because they will, if if nothing else, try to get somebody who's a high-end guy who could instantly help them uh, in the post. They've got to get post players. I think that much we know. Yeah. All right, we've talked a little basketball um, recruiting-wise, and we will get into – we got a, a Twitter question that we'll answer regarding U.K. basketball. Uh, also, lots of football. I mean, it's NFL Draft Day, uh, round one of the NFL Draft tonight. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. We'll talk a little football uh, regarding U.K. as well when we continue here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. You are Locked On Kentucky your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. All right, we're back here on the Lockdown Kentucky podcast. And Kyle, one of the uh, followers on Twitter, one of our listeners, Mitchell McTyler at Wildcat Mitch, he asked, question for for you guys, facing the possibility that the 2021 college basketball season is played without fans, what will be more impactful to a young UK team? An empty Rupp Arena or an empty Road Arena in the SEC? What say you? I'd say an empty road arena would make it easier on them, right? I mean, the the road arenas are just insane when Kentucky goes on the road. And how often is Rupp Arena kind of a non-factor except for the very, very best games? Um, I think that has been proven out over the years. Like um, when Calipari has had younger teams 
mostly young guys, they have struggled on the road. That's where it's been toughest. And he says it, and it's true. It's, you know, everyone's Super Bowl and T-shirt night or hat night or blackout or red out or whatever. It happens. And you can look at attendance records at SEC's um, uh, basketball arenas and look at the difference when Kentucky comes to town and, you know, the rest when Missouri comes to town or whatever. It's it's true. It just is. So an empty road arena, I don't think there's any doubt. But let's let's hypothetically, let's say, okay, the college basketball season, they do say they're going to play it without fans, except they will allow friends and family, uh, you know, like four per player, something like that, and social distance. Because if you did that, I think you could do social distancing. I think they would be open to that. I, I think that's a possibility. What is this? I think that's what more is- likely than no one at all where is this coming from um just from just stuff i've read with the like oh. the recommendations of the the from what an athletic director has said or what fauci has said or, or those things but just i'm just saying hypothetically yeah if they uh, if they did have empty arenas but they allowed you know you're talking maybe 100 people 40 50 <laughs> yeah. people per team yeah, yeah. It, to, i mean to... it'd be good to have some humans in there making some noise but uh, you know you're right. not you're not going to get a place to roar with no. 100 or even 200 or i mean even if you had a thousand people you could only make so much noise uh, but if you did that that would um be similar to what it's like playing in AAU especially if it's family and friends cuz that's what those kids are used to is family there watching them play AAU games and there's yeah you know what would be fascinating to me is if they came up with I mean this is just my uh, imagination but I think it would be interesting in a lot of ways if they came up with some social distancing guidelines and said okay an arena like Rupp that holds 20,000 now right after they downsized it right around Mm -hmm. 20,000 you can bring in 1500 people every game or 2,000 yeah. people every game. And we're going to sit them, you know, if you're family, you can sit together, but you're going to sit everybody. These groups are going to sit X number of feet apart. We're going to spread them through the whole arena. We're going to follow these guys. Everybody's going to wear a mask, whatever the guidelines. Yeah. Um, one, what that would like look and sound like, but two, the market for those tickets. Oh, yeah. Like, if you think if you sold 2000 tickets to every game at Rupp Arena and it was the first, you know, time sports was back or say the football. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you might make your ticket revenue <laughs> back. You could yeah. sell those tickets for $500 a piece. You know, you and could. that's the thing like you people say, "Look, I'm going to go to one game. I'm going to go every all the fans are going to get one game or, you know, two or three games over the course of a season. Uh, I don't know. I, that would be interesting. Just like what kind of a market would it create? Like what kind of, what would it be like to have us, you know, a couple thousand people all spread out? Well, I mean, there's already unrest among, I mean, there's still bitterness among UK fans about how Commonwealth stadium changed to Kroger field and how they rearranged the seating there and how they rearranged the parking there. And like the, the, the common UK fan 
the guy who's, you know, middle-class guy who's, you know, worked his whole life and had, uh, you know, median income and has used a portion of that on UK football season tickets all these years that they stunk, you know, stuck through them thick and thin. All these horrible years they're playing Vanderbilt on a rainy November afternoon and and you're out there because you've you've paid for your season ticket. And that guy gets squeezed out. And so I, I could see where there would be some uh frustration, some you know, a little boiling over of emotion if they were to just limit it to like uh, people who could afford $500 a game or something. I think it'd be cool if they, you know, as long as they did that, if they did that, as long as they did something where they had like a, a lottery where someone could buy the, the normal $45 ticket, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think I would hope they would think of, you know? Yeah. More likely so, um, it's just going to be it, it, the more likely scenario is all or nothing, you know, either totally mm-hmm. empty except for maybe some family or right. bring everybody back. Um, yeah. Probably not going to be much middle ground on that. All right. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, the Lynn Bowden rule has gone into effect. Uh, Terry Wilson looking good. Bud Dupree signs a deal. UK gets a football commitment. Uh, what Lincoln Riley said about the possibility of playing college football in the fall. All that when we return on Locked On Kentucky. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. We're back here on Locked On Kentucky. It's a Thursday afternoon when we're recording this. So at 8 o'clock Thursday night, the NFL draft begins, round one. Uh, some some UK football news. Uh Number one, Lynn Bowden, he won't be drafted in the first round. We know that. I think he's projected like fourth round. I hope he goes second round. I really, really hope to see him go second round. We'll see. Uh, Second round starts on Friday, obviously. Uh, But Lynn Bowden is the cause of a new NCAA rule that passed this week that allows officials to have jurisdiction over a game nine football game, 90 minutes before kickoff previously had it been 60 minutes before kickoff. And of course you'll remember at the Belk bowl, Lynn Bowden got in an altercation with Virginia tech players and had officials had jurisdiction when he did what he did. Lynn Bowden would have been ejected. He wouldn't have played. He threw a punch and landed it. He wouldn't have played in the Belk bowl. He was the reason Kentucky won the Belk Bowl, but he wouldn't have played in it if this rule been implemented. But uh, it's clear that this rule was in reaction to that. So Lynn Bowden's deal happened like, I don't know, 80 minutes, 75 minutes before kickoff. And so that rule said it was 60 minutes before kickoff. Now it's 90. And I don't think there's any doubt this is because of that. No, no, a hundred percent. The Lynn Bowden rule. And, uh, yeah, that's interesting. That's it's very God, I mean, just think about if that rule had been in place and oh. Lynn Bowden doesn't play and doesn't deliver that all time performance. Uh, I mean for that, one, yeah, Kentucky final just drive. Got smoked by Virginia Tech in that game without him. Um but yeah. Yeah, what he, would have Kentucky done? What would I they done? Know. They would have gone know. to Sawyer Smith, I guess. Or just direct snap it to, you know, the backs the whole time. I don't know. Maybe some other star would have emerged, but uh, yeah, that's definitely a Lynn Bowden rule. Um, 
we, I think we mentioned last week too, you know, that there's been all this, all these stories about Lynn that if, you know, clearly they're trying to push him out there and get his story out there. And, um, you know, NFL tre- teams are intrigued. One of our, our guys uh, that covers the NFL, Zach Jackson, uh, did a story, uh, my favorite player in the draft. Um, and he picked Lynn Bowden. He actually went and sat with Lynn in Youngstown. Oh, wow. Talked to him. And um, he didn't get to run the 40 uh, at the combine because of his hamstring. And, and they didn't do a, I guess didn't do a pro day, pro day, pro day either. Yeah. Um, but he said, I, they know I'm fast. I led the SEC in rushing, and I only played quarterback for eight games. The best conference in the country, and I was going for 200 a game. I tell them to watch the tape. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. But he said, you know, he's he's a get-your-popcorn-ready kind of guy. Um, That's an interesting read on the, on the athletic right now. But, um, yeah, I'm really I'm, – I'm very curious to see um, – where a team decides to sort of roll the dice on Lynn. Cause it's not, I don't think it's a big gamble. Like Lynn's going to get in trouble, which I think is no. one of the concerns with him, you know, that he's a hothead and, you know, he's, he came from some dangerous uh, background for sure. But just the gamble of like, can we utilize him the right way in the NFL? You know, can he, can he be that yeah. kind of dynamic playmaker as some kind of utility guy in the NFL? Um, I think he can and will, but he's got to go to the right place. And, you know, how early will somebody make that gamble? Um, I think, th- I don't think the second round's too soon. I think it's more likely Lynn's like a third round guy. Um, fourth to me would feel like you're stealing him like way too low. Yeah. Um, second wouldn't be out of the question. Third feels kind of like the sweet spot to me. Like this is appropriately sort of the appropriate place to take Lynn. Um, but I think if you're a team that's, you know, offensively challenged and you don't have a lot of playmakers and, and you're there in the second round and, you know, the quarterback you wanted isn't there, you've already got your left tackle or whatever, um, I, I, you could do worse than making a bet on Lynn as your punt returner, slot receiver, you know, direct snap, everything kind of guy who could maybe give your offense a boost. Yeah, well, you know, I mentioned this before. I'm a Bears fan, and you just described the Bears' offense. That's what it is. They they have this great defense, and their offense is terrible. They cannot score points. They don't have playmakers. They've they, they drafted a running back who was okay, uh, really didn't help them a ton. They don't have any receivers to speak of. Uh, they struggle at quarterback. Uh, their their big playmaker. Two years ago, Tariq Cohen wasn't able to carry him at all last season. So, so they struggle. They need a Lynn Bowden. And like I said, Lynn Bowden fits that Matt Nagy-style offense. And on top of that, this week, the Bears general manager, Ryan Pace, said that their draft is going to be focused on football players with high football IQ. Their draft is going to be focused on high IQ guys when it comes to the football field. And Lynn Bowden is a high football IQ guy, no doubt about it. The Bears have the 43rd pick and the 50th pick overall, both in the second round. I could see it, him going in the second round, I would think maybe the 50th pick. You'd be pretty pumped oh, we'll see. if he went to the Bears, wouldn't you? Oh, my God. Awesome. <laughs> be awesome. Yeah. All right, well, story... speaking of – Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, in this story, Zach Jackson wrote for The Athletic. He talked to – 
bunch of people that coached against Landon High School and his high school coach, and uh, and he said talking about how to use Landon. And this is, I think, probably good advice for NFL teams. He said, "I was basically told not to overthink it. If Lynn was at quarterback, we didn't have to worry about pitching it to him or throwing it to him." or about teams stacking one side. We just put it in his hands every time and let him make things happen. Um, I mean, you're not going to put Lynn at quarterback in the NFL, but you can put him back there some and take snaps. And uh, yeah. and, and, and the, the main idea is don't overthink it with this guy. He can play. He can play ball. Absolutely. Well, the whole reason um, Lynn Bowden was at quarterback is, of course, Terry Wilson got hurt. Well, today on Twitter, Terry Wilson – uh, posted a video of himself running in a treadmill on a treadmill, but it's like a, I guess maybe a zero gravity treadmill because it's a, there's air being pumped into it. He's run, he's, he's in some contraption where the treadmill is covered from like his waist down in like a bubble, an air pocket. Uh, and so I guess that's, yeah, zero gravity, something to help with the joints. And, but he's, he looks fine. He looks smooth. He looks like he is on the way to being ready to go should we have a college football season, Um, which uh, I think we will, but will it be in the fall? Uh, Not on time, I don't think. Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma's head coach. So, I mean, you know, here's a guy who's had his his team in the college football playoff, one of the bigger programs. Uh, So if Oklahoma's head coach says to Mike Tirico on NBC Sports, that he needs seven weeks to get his players ready to play. Uh, I think that's that's a time frame that's going to be, uh, you know, talked about with football coaches and their athletic directors across the country. Um, I know, you know, the NFL they jump in and they they're playing exhibition games like right away, like in August is the Hall of Fame exhibition game i mean they're in training camp for a week or two and they're out there playing um college football players have a four-week training camp before they kick off their first game however the difference is now is the nfl doesn't have their ota stuff uh they don't have those little mini camps and stuff going on they don't they don't have team workouts and the players are not on campus like they would be all summer long doing strength and conditioning. So by the time they get to, to camp uh, and that four week to get ready for the first game, uh, they're in good shape. Well, now you don't know what you're going to get back. I mean, these guys don't have state of the art home yeah. gyms. Yeah. That's, know? I mean, that's probably the big concern is, you know, and I hadn't even really thought about that part of it. Um, my initial reaction was they need seven weeks. What well, you know, I think Mike DeCourcy tweeted, well, the NFL, they go, you know, they, they have two weeks of training camp and start playing preseason games. But I think, our, I think it was Kent Spencer who replied to him like, but yeah, normally college players are there all summer lifting and running and right. Um, they're in the, in the best shape of their life when practice starts. Um, so college and they, NFL, and I mean, NFL them, players stay, yeah. it's a year round thing. Right. You know? And then, you know, and then you have a month of camp and then you play. Right. Um, so you're talking about an entire summer of lifting. And th- so then when you think seven weeks, that's really condensing it. Even then, you know, can they even right. in seven weeks, can they get ready? That means you're given essentially means you're taking three weeks of to condition. 
Yes. A month of strength camp. and conditioning. Yep. Uh, you know, which I think, you know, three, three to four weeks. I, I don't think there's any doubt that's, that's doable. It's not like these guys are in horrible shape. They're already athletes. So if you right. give them, you know, three weeks to get back to, uh, you know, a lot of cardio, a lot of weightlifting, get their bodies back in condition. I think three weeks definitely sounds reasonable. And then four weeks is just to be fair. You know, it's just as my dogs went crazy. The four weeks is just to be fair to everyone to have time to install offenses, figure out position battles, all that stuff. I mean, yeah, but you that's, think, that's the same thing. The high school, the high school has four think about, weeks to get ready. The other thing you think about is how many teams got, you know, a huge chunk of their spring wiped out. So, oh yeah, know, if say yeah. you have a new coordinator or or you know new this or that that you would spend the spring sort of doing the basic stuff of getting to know um and now you don't have that and now you have a shortened you know preseason it's gonna be tough i mean it's it's some some teams you know it's not gonna affect everybody the same uh you know if you're clemson alabama you're probably feeling pretty good about that but like if you don't have a ton of depth you know what what kind of shape are these guys gonna be in real game shape early in the season uh what what if you're a tempo team and so your whole thing is that you're just like wearing people out well, can you even can you even wear anybody? Are you just going to wear yourself out <laughs> trying yeah. to do that early in the season? There's a lot of a lot of questions. Um, more interesting would be if they do settle on, we're going to play it in winter. We're going to start in January and play the season. Yeah. Um, how much training will be allowed in the fall to gear up to that? Right, I have no idea. Well, um, we're going to wrap this up here with uh, just a couple more. News notes here, but uh, you say you have no idea on that. I have no idea how Kentucky continues to attract receivers to its program. (laughs) Since Mark (laughs) Stoops has been here, that is one of the toughest sells on the recruiting trail is to get someone uh, to come to Kentucky as a receiver. And, you know, the best they've produced – Jeff Bidette, I mean, yeah. is he the high watermark of the Stoops era as far yeah, as receivers go? Yeah, he was like go? really like a home run guy for a year and then transferred to Oklahoma. Yeah, and he got a shot in the yeah. XFL. I, mean, Garrett, was I, think, on an XFL I think Garrett team. Johnson was a really good receiver mm-hmm. over the course of his career. He was. Um, yeah, it's been tough because they've had to like reinvent themselves a few times. You know, and quarterbacks they really—it's more about not hitting on quarterbacks or having quarterbacks injured. Yeah, um, right. It really all goes to that. I mean, you know, Patrick Tolles, um, you know, ended up not being everything they thought, and plus they didn't have back at that time they didn't have the pieces around him probably more than anything. Then right. Drew Barker looked like he could really be that guy, and then he hurt his back, and this was never the same. And you know, on and on and on, you know, by the end of uh, Steven Johnson's second year, he was like a, like a beautiful home run ball hitter uh, his first year, but by the late, in that, late, late in that first season. And then I, I think, was it by the end of his second season and he couldn't even basically throw a ball, you know, both, like yeah. both arms and everything else was injured. So they had to really go run. I think he heavy. had like double shoulder surgeries yeah. since the season ended. Yeah, I mean, like immediately after the season said like, I'm not going to try to play any other kind of football. Um, yeah, I'm done. My career's over. You know, and <laughs> then Terry Wilson, so can... you know, Terry Wilson comes in and, 
has a really good solid first season and looks to build on it and gets injured what in their second game last year and so they have to go wildcat quarterback all year so they've had a lot of circumstantial things that all centering really around the quarterback uh, that haven't allowed them to open it up I'm curious moving forward you know with with Terry coming back if he's healthy uh, with the the big kid from Auburn when he's eligible with Bo Allen who was a pocket passer threw for a ton of yards in high school uh, whenever it's his turn if that tide turns because you know Eddie Grant has run some wide open pass first offenses I mean it's not like his only desire yeah. is to run the football um but Mark so, Stoops is in his ear <laughs> yeah yeah but I I, yeah. I don't think I don't think to this point the lack of opening it up and throwing the ball has been really at all about Stoops or not much about Stoops and more just about the circumstance, you know, like we don't have a guy who can wing it. So let's not wing it, Um, but they keep getting, so we say all that to say this. (laughs) Yeah. Chauncey Magwood, a three-star guy out of uh, Georgia committed on Monday to UK. Uh, He's playing quarterback. He's a quarterback for his team, but Kentucky looks at him as a receiver. And uh, John Summerall was the guy who'd been recruiting him. And he hasn't visited, has never visited Lexington, but they were able to get him to uh, to say yes and commit. So uh, he runs like a 4-7-40. Um, but anyway, so Kentucky got another receiver. And then lastly, what Kentucky has really been known for um, especially under Mark Stoops, guys like Bud Dupree and Josh Allen and uh, Zadarius Smith. Bud Dupree is going to get paid $15.8 million this season. He just signed a deal, signed the franchise, or, or Pittsburgh franchise team, and he signed that deal uh, to be a franchise player. So one-year deal, $15.8 million, and then I think they have until next July to get him to a longer-term deal. So Nice little payday for Bud Dupree. Yeah, good for him. Some dudes yeah. making some serious coin now from Kentucky. No doubt. Um, all right, so we'll end it there. And, uh, and uh, well, we should give a shout-out to the University of Louisville um, lab research department for finding a technology that they believe – that's going to block the coronavirus from infecting human cells, something that they had used for, that had already been working on for cancer research. And now they believe it'll translate to, it's, it's really, if you get a chance, go read that article on that search, you know, U of L um, and, and just look for it. But it's, it's really interesting how they developed like this synthetic DNA thing. Uh, it's crazy. Go so, cards, right? Yes, let's just hope and pray that, that, (laughs) yeah, hope and pray that that thing is able to get, you know, that technology is able to be, you know, translatable, mass produced and get us back to everything we love, our lives again. Uh, So tomorrow we'll obviously talk about the NFL draft a little bit, but, um, you know, Locked On NFL is your place to go for all that stuff. Uh, Then we've got NBA draft shows as well. You got... Chad Ford's big board, another locked on uh, show. So uh, Chad Ford's NBA big board is what it's called and the locked on NFL draft. Go check those out. They'll have plenty for you. Um, 
and then check us out on Twitter. Ask us any questions you want. Uh, if you want us to talk, talk a certain topic or something, we'll get into it. I am at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R. Kyle is at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. Sorry about that. Are you there, that. Kyle? Still? <laughs> yeah, my wife came screaming down the stairs. <laughs> Work from home well, we'll, is not we'll ideal, We'll let you folks. go. All right. Yes, we'll let you go, man. All right, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. We will have another podcast tomorrow. So thanks for listening. You are Locked On Kentucky, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.